Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. So for this episode, I had a request to talk about the impact of a negative co-parenting relationship uh, where the exes still have animosity towards each other and how to navigate this in terms of uh, the desire to create a loving, you know, uh, unstable home, two homes for your children in the wake of divorce. So obviously, I have been divorced, as many of you know from following me, and I wrote the book, How to Talk to Your Kids About Your Divorce, and I work with a lot of people who are divorced and divorcing, and parenting is obviously a major focus because most of the reason that people stay together when they are unhappy leading up to a divorce is for the children. And then when they finally do get divorced, they still want to make it the best for the children that it can be. The children obviously did not ask to be put into this situation. And any child who is now an adult who has been the child in a conflictual divorce situation knows how terrible it can be. And people frequently recount memories of just crazy stuff where, you know, the parents couldn't talk to each other. So then graduations, birthday parties, anything turned into a disaster. Children who are old enough to have their own weddings, who their major moment of terror is what will happen when the parents each come into the wedding and see one another. So they can't even be excited about their own marriage. What they are most scared about is if their parents will act crazy and have some sort of conflict. I mean, so this really doesn't go away even to the birth of the child, how each parent is going to react to that, and then Christmas is thereafter. So honestly, if people do not get their co-parenting under control early, it has the potential to really poison every aspect of your child's life for the rest of their life until you die, which is depressing and is meant to be depressing because this is should be a wake-up call that this is really one of the most important things you can do to be a good parent in divorce is to get along with your co-parent. Now, people find this difficult for various reasons. Sometimes a relationship ended because of infidelity. Sometimes it ended because one person felt that the other was just uh, terribly mean and uh, even abusive to them. Other times it ends because of disparities in in sex, in how often they want to visit in-laws and how their finances are held and how the parenting goes and just a range of various um, conflicts that then your bitterness about those conflicts doesn't just instantly disappear upon, you know, the signing of the divorce papers. Also, Sometimes people get very upset that the spouse, that their ex-spouse remarries or has another relationship. I had a somebody, guy write in once about that he thinks that his ex-wife is introducing her new boyfriend too quickly to the children. So there are people that have this arbitrary uh, cutoff in their mind for how long it should be and do not think that anything less than, for example, a year relationship or a six-month relationship or two-year relationship, whatever, uh, that that person should not be introduced to the kids. I am not a proponent of that. 
everybody's different. So, you know, your relationship at three months may be like somebody else's relationship at six months. And as long as children are introduced um, in a healthy way and the relationship with the parent, no, it does not play second fiddle to the, the relationship between the parent and the parent's new partner doesn't play second, doesn't play, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> the children should be put first and then in case of a remarriage, you know, they should be put into a normal kind of first slash second, depending on the day, with the um, new spouse. Because in case you are asleep during all my other podcasts, I do not think that families should be child-centered, especially not to the extent that they are now. That leads to a lot of difficulties for the family unit and the kids. But anyhow, going back to the point at hand that we are discussing, when there is a new partner involved for one of the ex-spouses, especially if it's the person that got left by the other person, they're going to be really unhappy to see the person who left them now happy with somebody else. This can be a point of major contention and resentment. So in these complex situations, how do you keep the interests of the child preeminent rather than devolving into some kind of horrible, messy conflict at every pickup and every drop-off and crazy phone calls in between and long text threads where people are insulting each other when you know in your heart of hearts, and if you don't, I'm here to tell you that that behavior will have lasting negative ramifications on the mental health of your children. Never mind, it teaches them never to get married because marriage is such a catastrophe and can end in this complete um, scorched earth, horrible, bitter fighting, which is not a lesson that anybody, you know, wants to teach a child. The first thing to remember is that if you make your child dislike your co-parent, you are really making them dislike 50% of themselves. 50% of their DNA comes from your co-parent. I know you might want to go back in time and make it that it weren't so, but you got the child in front of you. You love this child. That means that you even love the part of them that comes from your co-parent. If you constantly insult your co-parent, and I, I don't mean directly, it can be directly, also passive-aggressive little comments, oh, I guess your father is doing X, Y, Z again, oh, so I guess your mother didn't pack you a good lunch, oh, well, that's how it always was, those kind of things. Every time you make a negative comment about your co-parent, just picture like the little battery meter on your phone ticking down, picture like 1% of your child's happiness going down, every comment. 1%, 1%, 1%. Picture it. And it's real. And your child starts to think poorly of the co-parent, poorly of themselves and any sorts of uh, traits that they share with the co-parent. And then sometimes they boomerang back, especially in later years, and they hate you for causing them to hate the co-parent. I have a lot of people now that, you know, psychology has hit the mainstream. Look at TikTok. It's all these teenagers talking about psychologically minded stuff. And 
your kid may be all about siding with you until they hit 15 years old and they're like, holy shit, I just learned that you weren't supposed to be trash talking mom and now I hate you. So you really do not, you don't want that to happen for your relationship with your kid, but you also don't want your child's little happiness and self-esteem meter to tick down and down and down with every negative, whether directly or indirectly negative comment that you make about your co-parent. So really, the best thing to do is to go cold turkey on this. It can be hard if this is what you're used to doing, but you really have to do it. It's kind of um, anything else. It's like anything else that you know that you have to do. Like um, if you drink too much, obviously many people are aware that the way to finally stop doing that for many is to go cold turkey, stop, and just not do it anymore. If there is any way that you can really own the fact that every negative comment really just hurts your child and just stop completely, then that's the best case. Otherwise, you got to take some kind of incremental approach with hopefully uh, support from a therapist where you have some sort of accountability and you can vent then about your co-parent to somebody and then take all of that venting, put it in the therapy session, and you don't have to use any of it in at home where your child can hear you. Because they can also hear, by the way, your phone calls to your friends about what an asshole your ex is. They hear that stuff. So number one strategy is to just on your own end, stop negativity toward the co-parent because also every time you talk negative about them, it really does keep your fire burning, whatever anger you're feeling, it does not cathartically wash away, it just amplifies and builds on itself, which is certainly something that you don't need and that your child really doesn't need is for your anger to be simmering and even growing every day about your ex and whatever you think stupid thing they recently did. Another important thing to remember is the gray rock method. Now I describe the gray rock method. I didn't come up with it, but you can look for it in my posts and I'll link to it in the description. It was originally a method for dealing with narcissists, but it's really a way to deal with anybody that you don't like, but that you have to interact with. So this obviously includes your co-parent if you're listening to this show. So What the gray rock method means is that you make yourself boring like a gray rock. You do not engage in any conversations of interest. You are bland. You are a rock. You are not going to give back any drama. If they're throwing it, you're not catching it. So this means that you have to walk away from other other opportunities to engage in a dramatic way that you have been, unfortunately, engaging in which you shouldn't be doing. So if your ex makes some snipey, passive-aggressive comment, oh, I see you got a new car. So usually you would say, yeah, I got a new car because I have a job. What I drive isn't any of your business. Kids, get in the car. Get in the car. And then you get in the car and you bitch about their mother and her comments. Maybe you don't do all of that. Maybe you're not an overachiever that you get all of that dysfunction in in one little situation. Maybe you do some of it, though. You'll recognize it if you do it. If you're doing gray rock, what you do is you say, yeah, and that's it. You don't say anything else. And if your ex-wife in this situation says, must be nice to have a new car. You know, I haven't gotten a new car in like five years. You say, "Uh uh-huh, kids, let's go. Let's get into the car. Okay, see you later. And you smile and you go. 
You don't smile in a smarmy, passive-aggressive way that invites her to want to kill you. You smile like you are on some kind of drug that makes you really nice. You know, like Soma in Brave New World. So you actually act bland and pleasant like a gray rock. You become so boring that your ex cannot even think about how to bust your balls, so they'll stop. People, as you tell your kids, people really, you say, if somebody bullies you, don't say anything. Just like, not if they bully you, if they bully you, say something. If somebody just says some stupid shit to you at school, don't say anything. Walk away. They'll get tired of it, you know? And they usually do get tired of it. What they don't get tired of is the kid who engages back. Don't be that kid as a grown up. Do not engage in some sort of dramatic way and then say that they started it. How ridiculous. You wouldn't want your children to act like that. It doesn't matter who started it. You don't want to engage in anything that is not pleasant, bland, and about the kids. If you have disagreements about the kids, this is different. But I am talking about situations where it's really just you guys sniping at each other for no reason but that you hate each other. And you know what this is. This is also any comments about your personal life. Never respond with a comment about the personal life. Never ask them about their personal life. Here's a good one. Don't send any test texts or emails at crazy times, like three in the morning, that indicates to your ex-spouse that you're up thinking about them and your co-parenting arrangement. If you need to schedule your kid's haircut, that should not be a 3.14 a.m. email unless you are inviting them to wonder about your personal life. Don't do that. Talk to your spouse between business hours of nine to five, except if you have to about scheduling in the moment. Your spouse, your your ex-spouse, replaced with ex-spouse if I didn't, your co-parent, which I like. If you read my book, How to Talk to Your Kids About Divorce, I recommend calling them your co-parent even in your mind because the fact that they're your ex-spouse should really be meaningless to you. You have to move forward into a brave new world here where they are your co-parent. That reminds you what the hell you're talking to them about. It's the kids. Why do you still have them in your life at all? Because of the kids. The kids, the kids, the kids, parent, parent, parent. This is why. Anyhow, stick to them, stick to talking to them in work hours. They are a work colleague, an annoying work colleague, but one which you go very bland and boring when you talk to, and you stick to only the facts, only about the kids, only during work hours. Doing this gray rock work associate paradigm will really help you in and of itself, even if you do not listen to the rest of my show. So what do you do then if you really disagree with them on something? So they want your child to uh, go to sleepaway camp. You think your child is too young. In this point, I for, uh, on these kinds of things, first try to give. Try to figure out what your child wants and try to give as much as possible always. You may say, oh, that's going to be like my marriage. I give and give and this piece of you-know-what walks all over me like I'm a doormat. This is a very bad attitude to go into co-parenting with. If your co-parent really loves your child, which they always love your child, I mean, unless it's the craziest situation with a literal sociopath, nobody listening to this that thinks that their spouse, ex-spouse is a sociopath, 99.99% of you are wrong. They're not really a sociopath. They may be a narcissist, but narcissists can love their kids, by the way. Anyway, if your co-parent has the best interests of your kids at heart, then your decision should be made based on 
What does your kid want to do? And what can avoid conflict? Because let me tell you, your kid going to sleepaway camp one summer before you believe that they're truly deeply ready to go, that does not matter nearly as much for your child's later emotional health as listening to a fight or dealing with the aftermath of two stressed out parents for six months because this fight started in February and sleepaway camp is in July or August. So you always keep those in mind. Yeah, sure. What does my kid want? Yeah, do that as much as possible. I'm talking about not not globally here. You don't care about what your kid, you know, if they don't want to eat a vegetable, they still got to eat a vegetable. But stuff like sleepaway camp or stuff like uh, the extracurricular activity that your co-parent wants that you don't necessarily want. Well, what does your kid want? I mean, that's kind of an easy easier way to go about it. All right, do you want to go to sleepaway camp? If they say yes, all right, try sleepaway camp. Okay, but if you're really, really, really super deeply against something, think first if it would be worse for your kid to do this thing or to have a fight, listen to a fight that you two get really crazy and call each other names and insult each other about this. My point here is really the following. If at all possible, shield your child from fights and from negativity between co-parents. If your child is listening to you fight and say nasty things about your co-parent, they are thinking bad things about themselves and they are unhappy and they are stressed. Their little body is secreting cortisol, the stress hormone, and it will wend its way into their brain and make them susceptible to later anxiety and depression, if not outright trauma based upon how bad the conflict is. Very, very few things are worth this. If you believe that your child is at risk of imminent death in your co-parent's presence, I think that you should do the following. You should see a therapist and see if that is an anxious thought or if that thought makes sense. That would be the only thing that is worth terrible fighting. But even in that case, you would get a lawyer involved right away. If you thought that your co-parent was somehow putting your child at immediate loss of uh, that, that they were going to lose their life somehow. Most other things are not worth it. The bedtime at your co-parent's house isn't worth it. Oh, this is a good time to clear up the fallacy that things have to be consistent across households. They don't. Your child is smart. They're a smart mammal and they are able to learn like every other mammal, like a mouse running a maze. All mazes are not the same. This is a good thing for the mouse's neuronal development if they weren't all killed after the experiments. Now your child is learning also. They're learning that the maze at your house is different than the maze at your co-parent's house and they are going to be a lot more flexible. In fact, kids of divorce all often are a lot more mature than other kids because they know this. They know that things are different in different houses. They understand that parents are people with their own individual preferences. Unless your co-parent is putting your child at imminent risk of death or is really abusive, uh, neglectful, something that a court of law would also agree with you, not just because you hate them, then you really have to respect their rules, their house, their rules. This idea that the bedtime has to be, quote, consistent, it doesn't have to be consistent. It has to be what it is in each house and no fighting. The number one rule is no fighting between co-parents. That's what stresses the kid out a lot more than the bedtime.
So let's just get away. Let's just erase that preconception now that there is some consistency to strive for there. Now, again, if you really hate your co-parent and you gray rock them, you minimize your contact with them, and you do not ever again let your child hear or see any negativity and you keep that for your therapy session, maybe for bitch sessions with your friends, but really not because, you know, your kids overhear that. They look at your phone. I mean, somebody's going to make some kind of comment to them at some point. So really, you should really save it for therapy or a support group. But anyhow... If you do all of these things, your relationship with your co-parent might get a lot better because honestly, they think that you are up their ass just as you think that they are up your ass. They think you are judgmental just as you think they are judgmental. If you chill it out and calm down and stop engaging in any kind of drama, they will too. They really will too. People that tell me that this doesn't work, then when we go through it in depth, they're like, oh, yeah, I never respond except this one comment she said. Man, that one, I had to respond to that. You see why, right? I mean, shit. No, not that one either. No comments. You don't respond to any comments. You don't engage in any drama. There is no personal life sharing. If your co-parent says nasty things about your new partner, why are you allowing these conversations to happen in the first place? Have very strict rules in your own head about how quick you get in and out of your uh, any situation with your co-parent. Children need to be ready to go. They go right from your house into the other person's car. That person should not be in your house. You should not be in their house. You should not be able to look around. They should not be able to look around. With more time, more drama and more conflict is going to happen. You should really limit the time that you're around one another at all. Now, also... The key thing here, I said it just in terms of some word event, but therapy is not just some word event. Therapy with somebody who is skilled in the complexities of divorce, co-parenting, blending families, all of that can really, really help you with concrete tools that I don't have the time to get to in this podcast about how to engage differently in such a way that your children's mental health is prioritized. It's all going to be kind of basically what I said here, but you got, you know, your own unique issues. And I'm sure that your co-parent is uniquely difficult and you're uniquely difficult too, they think. So, you know, you really need somebody on the ground with you who is game planning various difficult potential interactions such that your children's mental health is prioritized at all times versus, you know, continuing drama that is just taking years off your life and, you know, points off of your child's mental health score for the day. So if this resonated with you, listen to it again. Really own the fact that I have never seen a situation where it didn't take two to tango with co-parent conflict. I've never seen a situation where there's just one unhinged lunatic who is just uh, unilaterally aggressive toward the other with absolutely never any pushback or response at all. In such situations, that person who is so unhinged usually loses custody because they are so unhinged that they can't keep a job and they, they they, they can't function. In situations between most people who are able to hold down a job and able to have friends and able to date and remarry or whatever, there are 
takes two to tango and to maintain any sort of difficult relationship. And I've seen the most difficult co-parenting relationships repaired when one person just says, I'm not going to fight about this shit. I'm not going to fight about really much at all. I am going to keep my child's mental health in the front of my mind at all times. This usually honestly happens when that co-parent meets somebody and they fall in love and they become so happy that they no longer have any impetus to engage in this drama with the co-parent. They no longer give a shit what the co-parent does or doesn't do. And so it's a real good real world experiment to see what happens in these really conflictual, nasty kind of cases when one person just becomes too happy to want to deal with it anymore. And then usually the drama level drops nearly immediately because the other co-parent was, after all, not fighting with themselves. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please give me suggestions. This podcast itself was done in uh, response to a suggestion from a loyal reader and listener. Um, Follow me on drpsychmom.com and Look in the description of the episode. I'm going to link you to both my book about divorce and also the post about gray rocking. Okay, that's all, folks. Have a great day.